0: Chapter Three, Part One of the Swiss Family Robinson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann R. Wies. Chapter Three, Part One. I will spare you a description, said my wife, of our first day's occupations. Truth to tell, I spent the time chiefly in anxious thought, and watching your progress and signals. I rose very early this morning, and with the utmost joy perceiving your signal that all was right, hastened to reply to it, and then, while my sons yet slumbered, I sat down and began to consider how our position could be improved. For it is perfectly impossible, said I to myself, to live much longer where we are now, the sun beats burningly the life-long day on this bare rocky spot our only shelter is this poor tent beneath the canvas of which the heat is even more oppressive than on the open shore why should not i and my little boys exert ourselves as well as my husband and fritz why should not we too try to accomplish something useful if we could but exchange this melancholy and unwholesome abode for a pleasant shady dwelling-place "'we should all improve in health and spirits. "'Among those delightful woods and groves "'where Fritz and his father saw so many charming things, "'I feel sure there must be some little retreat "'where we could establish ourselves comfortably. "'There must be, and I will find it.' "'By this time the boys were up, "'and I observed Jack very quietly and busily occupied with his knife "'about the spot where Fritz's jackal lay.' Watching his proceedings, I saw that he had cut two long, narrow strips of the animal's skin, which he cleaned and scraped very carefully, and then taking a handful of great nails out of his pocket, he stuck them through the skin, points outward, after which he cut strips of canvas sailcloth, twice as broad as the thongs, doubled them, and laid them on the raw side of the skin, so as to cover the broad, flat nail-heads. At this point of the performance, "'Master Jack came to me with the agreeable request "'that I would kindly stitch the canvas and, moist, skin together for him. "'I gave him needles and thread, "'but could not think of depriving him of the pleasure of doing it himself. "'However, when I saw how good-humouredly he persevered in the word, "'with his awkward, unskilled fingers, I took pity on him, "'and conquering the disgust I felt, "'finished lining the skin dog-collars he had so ingeniously contrived. "'After this I was called upon to complete in the same way "'a fine belt of skin he had made for himself. "'I advised him to think of some means by which the skin might be kept from shrinking. "'Ernest, although rather treating Jack's manufacture with ridicule, "'proposed a sensible enough plan, which Jack forthwith put into execution.' He nailed the skin, stretched flat, on a board, and put it in the sun to dry. My scheme of a journey was agreed to joyously by my young companions. Preparations were instantly set on foot, weapons and provisions provided, the two elder boys carrying guns, while they gave me charge of the water-flask and a small hatchet. Leaving everything in as good order as we could at the tent, we proceeded toward the stream, accompanied by the dogs. Turk, who had accompanied you on your first expedition, seemed immediately to understand that we wished to pursue the same route, and proudly led the way. As I looked at my two young sons, each with his gun, and considered how much the safety of the party depended on these little fellows, I felt grateful to you, dear husband, for having acquainted them in childhood with the use of firearms. Filling our water-jar, we crossed the stream, and went on to the height from whence, as you described, a lovely prospect is obtained, at the sight of which a pleasurable sensation of buoyant hope, to which I had long been a stranger, awoke within my breast. A pretty little wood in the distance attracted my notice particularly, and thither we directed our course. But soon finding it impossible to force our way through the tall, strong grass, which grew in dense luxuriance higher than the children's heads, "'we turned toward the open beach on our left, "'and following it we reached a point "'much nearer the little woods, "'when, quitting the strand, we made toward it. "'We had not entirely escaped the tall grass, however, "'and with the utmost fatigue and difficulty "'were struggling through the reeds, "'when suddenly a great rushing noise "'terrified us all dreadfully. "'A very large and powerful bird "'sprang upward on the wing. "'Both boys attempted to take aim,' but the bird was far away before they were ready to fire. "'Oh, dear, what a pity!' exclaimed Ernest. "'Now, if I had only had my light gun, and if the bird had not flown quite so fast, I should have brought him down directly.' "'Oh, yes,' said I. "'No doubt you would be a capital sportsman, if only your game would always give you time to make ready comfortably.' "'But I had no notion that anything was going to fly up just at our feet like that,' cried he. "'A good shot,' I replied, "'must be prepared for surprises. "'Neither wild birds nor wild beasts will send you notice that they are about to fly "'or to run.' "'What sort of bird can it have been?' inquired Jack. "'Oh, it certainly must have been an eagle,' answered little Franz. "'It was so very big.' "'Just as if every big bird must be an eagle,' replied Ernest, in a tone of derision." "'Let's see where he was sitting at all events,' said I. Jack sprang toward the place, and instantly a second bird, rather larger than the first, rushed upward into the air, with a most startling noise. The boys stood staring upward, perfectly stupefied, while I laughed heartily, saying, "'Well, you are first-rate sportsmen, to be sure. You certainly will keep my larder famously well supplied.' At this, Ernest colored up, and looked inclined to cry, while Jack put on a comical face, pulled off his cap, and with a low bow called after the fugitive, "Adieu for the present, sir. I live in hopes of another meeting.' On searching the ground carefully, we discovered a rude sort of nest made untidily of dry grass. It was empty, although we perceived broken egg-shells at no great distance, and concluded that the young brood had escaped among the grass.' which, in fact, we could see was waving at a little distance, as the little birds ran through it. "'Now look here, Franz,' said Ernest presently. "'Just consider how this bird could by any possibility have been an eagle. Eagles never build on the ground, neither can their young leave the nest and run as soon as they are out of the egg. That is a peculiarity of the gallinaceous tribe of birds alone, to which then these must belong.' "'The species, I think, is indicated by the white belly, "'and dull red colour of the wing-coverts, "'which I observed in these specimens, "'and I believe them to be bustards, "'especially as I noticed in the largest "'the fine moustache-like feathers over the beak, "'peculiar to the great bustard.' "'My dear boy,' I said, "'your eyes were actively employed, I must confess, "'if your fingers were unready with the gun. "'And, after all, it is just as well, perhaps.' That we have not thrown the Bustard's family into mourning. Thus chatting, we at length approached my pretty wood. Numbers of birds fluttered and sang among the high branches, but I did not encourage the boys in their wish to try to shoot any of the happy little creatures. We were lost in admiration of the trees in this grove, and I cannot describe to you how wonderful they are, nor can you form the least idea of their enormous size without seeing them yourself." What we had been calling a wood proved to be a group of about a dozen trees only, and what was strange, the roots sustained the massive trunks exalted in the air, forming strong arches, and props and stays all around each individual stem, which was firmly rooted in the centre. I gave Jack some twine, and scrambling up one of the curious open-air roots, he succeeded in measuring round the trunk itself and made it out to be about eighteen yards i saw no sort of fruit but the foliage is thick and abundant throwing delicious shade on the ground beneath which is carpeted with soft green herbage and entirely free from thorns briars or bushes of any kind it is the most charming resting place that ever was seen and i and the boys enjoyed our midday meal immensely in this glorious palace of the woods so grateful to our senses after the glare and heat of our journey thither the dogs joined us after a while they had lingered behind on the seashore and i was surprised to see them lie down and go comfortably to sleep without begging for food as they do usually when we eat the longer we remained in this enchanting place the more did it charm my fancy and if we could but manage to live in some sort of dwelling up among the branches of those grand noble trees, I should feel perfectly safe and happy. It seemed to me absurd to suppose we should ever find another place half so lovely, so I determined to search no further, but return to the beach and see if anything from the wreck had been cast up by the waves, which we could carry away with us. Before starting, Jack persuaded me to sit quietly a little longer, and finish making his belt, and the spike-collars for the dogs, for you must know that the child had actually been carrying the board on which these were stretched all this time, so that they should get the full benefit of the sun. As they were now quite dry, I completed them easily, and Jack girded on the belt with great pride, placing his pistols in it, and marching about in the most self-important style, while Ernest fitted the collars on the two dogs.' On reaching the shore we found it strewed with many articles, doubtless of value, but all too heavy for us to lift. We rolled some casks, however, beyond high-water mark, and dragged a chest or two also higher on the beach, and while doing so observed that our dogs were busy among the rocks. They were carefully watching the crevices and pools, and every now and then would pounce downward and seize something which they swallowed with apparent relish. "'They are eating crabs,' said Jack. "'No wonder they have not seemed hungry lately.' "'And, sure enough, they were catching the little green crabs, with which the water abounded. "'These, however, did not apparently entirely satisfy them. "'Sometime afterward, just as we were about to turn inland toward the ford, we noticed "'that Juno was scraping in the sand, and turning up some round substances, which she "'hastily devoured.' "'Ernest went to see what these were, "'and reported in his calm way "'that the dog had found turtle's eggs. "'Oh!' cried I, "'then let us by all means share in the booty. "'Mrs. Juno, however, did not at all approve of this, "'and it was with some difficulty that we drove her aside "'while we gathered a couple of dozen of eggs, "'stowing them in our provision-bags. "'While thus employed we caught sight of a sail which appeared to be merrily approaching the shore beyond the cliffs. Ernest declared it must be our raft. Little Franz, always having the fear of savages before his eyes, began to look frightened, and for a moment I myself was doubtful what to think. However, we hastened to the stream, and crossing it by the stepping-stones, came in sight of the landing-place, where we joyfully met you." "'Now I hope you approve of the proceedings of your exploring party, "'and that to-morrow you will do me the favour of packing everything up "'and taking us away to live among my splendid trees.' "'Aye, little wife,' said I, "'so that is your idea of comfort and security, is it? "'A tree, I do not know how many feet high, "'on which we are to perch and roost like the birds. "'If we had but wings or a balloon, "'it would, I own, be a capital plan.' "'Laugh as much as you like,' returned my wife. "'My idea is not so absurd as you make it out. "'We should be safe up there from jackal's visits during the night, "'and I know I have seen at home, in Switzerland, "'quite a pretty arbour with a strong floor "'up among the branches of a lime-tree, "'and we went up a staircase to reach it. "'Why could not we contrive a place like that "'where we could sleep safely at night?' "'I will consider the idea seriously, my wife,' said I, Perhaps something may come of it after all. Meantime, as we have finished our supper, and night is coming on, let us commend ourselves to almighty protection, and retire to rest. Beneath the shelter of our tent we all slept soundly, like marmots, until break of day, when, my wife and I awaking, we took counsel together as to future proceedings. Referring to the task she had the previous evening proposed for me, I remarked that to undertake it would involve so many difficulties that it was highly necessary to look closely into the subject. "'In the first place,' said I, "'I am unwilling hastily to quit a spot to which I am convinced we were providentially led as a landing-place. "'See how secure it is, guarded on all sides by these high cliffs, and accessible only by the narrow passage to the ford, while from this point it is so easy to reach the ship,' that the whole of the valuable cargo is at our disposal suppose we decide to stay patiently here for the present until at least we have brought on shore everything we possibly can i agree with you to a certain extent dear husband replied she but you do not know how dreadfully the heat among the rocks tries me it is almost intolerable to us who remain here all day while you and Fritz are away out at sea, or wandering among the shady woods, where cool fruits refresh, and fair scenes delight you. As to the contents of the ship, an immense deal has been cast ashore, and I would much rather give up all the remainder, and be spared the painful anxiety it gives me when you even talk of venturing again on the faithless deep. "'Well, I must admit that there is much right on your side,' I continued. "'Suppose we were to remove to your chosen abode, and make this rocky fastness our magazine and place of retreat in case of danger. I could easily render it more secure, by blasting portions of the rock with gunpowder. But a bridge must be constructed in the first place, to enable us to cross bag and baggage. "'Oh, I shall be parched to death before we can leave this place, if a bridge has to be made,' cried my wife impatiently. "'why not just take our things on our backs, and wade across, as we have done already? "'The cow and donkey could carry a great deal.' "'That they will have to do, in whatever fashion we make the move,' said I. "'But bags and baskets we must have, to put things in, "'and if you will turn your attention to providing those, I will set about the bridge at once. "'It will be wanted not once, but continually. "'The stream will probably swell.' and be impassable at times, and even as it is an accident might happen. "'Well, well,' cried my wife, "'I submit to your opinion. Only pray set about it without delay, for I long to be off. It is an excellent idea to make a strong place among the cliffs here. The gunpowder especially I shall be delighted to see stored here when we go away, for it is frightfully dangerous to keep so much as we have close to our habitation.' "'Gunpowder is indeed the most dangerous, and at the same time the most useful thing we have,' said I, and for both these reasons we must be especially careful of it. "'In time I will hollow out a place in the rock, where we can store it safe from either fire or damp.' By this morning's consultation we had settled the weighty question of our change of abode, and also chalked out work for the day. When the children heard of the proposed move, their joy was boundless. They began at once to talk of it as our journey to the promised land, and only regretted that time must be wasted, as they said, in bridge-building before it could be undertaken. Everyone being impatient for breakfast, that work might be begun at once, the cow and goats were milked, and, having enjoyed a comfortable meal of biscuit boiled in milk, I prepared to start for the wreck, in order to obtain planks for the proposed bridge ernest as well as fritz accompanied me and we were soon within the influence of the current and were carried swiftly out to sea fritz was steering and we had no sooner passed beyond the islet at the entrance of the bay so as to come in sight of its seaward breach than we were astonished to see a countless multitude of sea-birds gulls and others which rose like a cloud into the air disturbed by our approach and deafened us by their wild and screaming cries fritz caught up his gun and would have sent a shot among them had i permitted it i was curious to find out what could be the attraction for all this swarm of feathered fowl and availing myself of a fresh breeze from the sea i set the sail and directed our course toward the island the swelling sail and flying pennant charmed ernest while Fritz bent his keen eyes eagerly toward the sandy shore, where the flocks of birds were again settling. Presently he shouted, Aha! now I see what they are after. They have got a huge monster of a fish there, and a proper feast they are making. Let's have a nearer look at it, father. We could not take our boat very close in, but we managed to effect a landing at a short distance from the festive scene, and— securing the raft by casting a rope round a large stone, we cautiously drew near the object of interest. It proved to be a monstrous fish on whose flesh these multitudes of birds were ravenously feeding, and it was extraordinary to watch the ferocity, the envy, the gluttony, and all manner of evil passions exhibited among the guests at this banquet." "'There was nothing on this sandy beach "'when we passed yesterday, I am certain, father,' said Fritz. "'It seems strange to see this creature stranded here.' "'Why, Fritz!' cried Ernest. "'It must be the shark, your shark, you know. "'I believe I can see where you hit him in the head.' "'You are right, I do believe, Ernest,' said I, "'though I think your imagination only can distinguish "'the gunshot wound among all the pecking and tearing "'of the voracious birds there.' "'Just look, boys, at those terrific jaws beneath the strangely projecting snout. "'See the rows upon rows of murderous teeth, and thank God we were delivered from them. "'Let us try if we can induce these greedy birds to spare us a bit of the shark's skin. "'It is extremely rough, and when dry may be used like a file.' "'Ernest drew the ramrod from his gun, and charged so manfully into the crowd, "'that striking right and left, he speedily killed several,' while most of the others took to flight. Fritz detached some broad strips of skin with his knife, and we returned toward the boat. Perceiving with satisfaction that the shore was strewn with just the sort of boards and planks I wanted, I lost no time in collecting them, and, forming a raft to tow after us, we were in a short time able to direct our course homeward, without visiting the wreck at all. As we sailed along, extremely well pleased with our good fortune, Fritz, by my direction, nailed part of the shark's skin flat on boards to dry in the sun, and the rest on the rounded mast. "'Will that be a good plan, father?' inquired he. "'It will be quite bent and crooked when it hardens.' "'That is just what I want it to be,' said I. "'We may happen to find it useful in that form, as well as flat.' "'It would be beautiful shagreen if we could smooth and polish it.' "'I thought,' remarked Ernest, "'that shagreen was made from asses' hide.' "'And you thought rightly,' said I. "'The best shagreen is prepared in Turkey, Persia, and Tartary, "'from the skins of horses and asses. "'In these skins the roughness is produced artificially, "'while the skin is newly flayed and still soft.' "'hard grains of corn are spread on the under-surface "'and pressed into it as it dries. "'These grains are afterward removed, "'and the roughness imparted to the appearance of the skin "'remains indelibly. "'Chagrin is useful in polishing joiners' work, "'and it is made in France from the rough skin "'of a hideous creature called the angelfish.' "'Angelfish!' exclaimed Fritz. "'What a name to give to anything hideous, father!' there are bad angels as well as good ones observed ernest in his dry quiet way it is better to leave people to see for themselves which is meant by this time we were close in shore and lowering the sail we soon had our craft with the raft in tow safely moored to the bank no one was in sight not a sound to be heard so with united voice we gave a loud cheery halloo which after a while was answered in shrill tones and the mother, with her two boys, came running from behind the rocks between us and the stream, each carrying a small bundle in a handkerchief, while little Franz held aloft a landing-net. Our return so soon was quite unexpected, and they anxiously inquired the reason, which we soon explained, and then the mysterious bundles were opened, and a great number of fine crawfish displayed, whose efforts to escape by scuttling away in every direction directly they were placed in a heap on the ground, caused immense fun and laughter as the boys pursued and brought them back, only to find others scrambling off in a dozen different ways. "'Now, Father, have we not done well to-day?' cried Jack. "'Did you ever see such splendid crawfish? Oh, there were thousands of them, and I am sure we have got two hundred here at least. Just look at their claws!' "'No doubt you were the discoverer of these fine crabs, eh, Jack?' said I. "'No, fancy young Franz being the lucky man,' answered he. He and I went toward the stream, while Mother was busy, just to look for a good place for the bridge. Franz was picking up pebbles and alabasters, some because they were so pretty, some to strike sparks with in the dark, and some, he insisted, were gold. "'Jack, Jack!' cried he presently, "'Come and see the crabs on Fritz's jackal. "'You know we threw it away there, "'and to be sure it was swarming with these creatures. "'Are you glad we have found them, father? "'Will they be good to eat?' "'Very excellent, my boy, "'and we may be thankful that food for our wants "'is thus provided day by day.' "'When each party had related the day's adventures, "'and while the mother was cooking the crawfish, "'we went to bring our store of planks to land.' Even this apparently simple operation required thought, and I had to improvise rope harness for the cow and the donkey, by which we could make them drag each board separately from the water's edge to the margin of the stream. Jack showed me where he thought the bridge should be, and I certainly saw no better place, as the banks were at that point tolerably close to one another, steep, and of about equal height." how shall we find out if our planks are long enough to reach across said i a surveyor's table would be useful now what do you say to a ball of string father said ernest tie one end to a stone throw it across then draw it back and measure the line adopting my son's idea we speedily ascertained the distance across to be eighteen feet then allowing three feet more at each side i calculated twenty-four feet as the necessary length of the boards the question as to how the planks were to be laid across was a difficult one we resolved to discuss it during dinner to which we were now summoned and my wife as we sat resting displayed to me her needlework with hard labor she had made two large canvas bags for the ass to carry Having no suitable needle, she had been obliged to bore the hole for each stitch with a nail, and gained great praise for her ingenuity and patience. Dinner was quickly dispatched, as we were all eager to continue our engineering work. A scheme had occurred to me for conveying one end of a plank across the water, and I set about it in this way. There, fortunately, were one or two trees close to the stream on either side, I attached a rope pretty near one end of a beam, and slung it loosely to the tree beside us. Then, fastening a long rope to the other end, I crossed with it by means of broken rocks and stones, and having a pulley and block, I soon arranged the rope on a strong limb of the opposite tree, again returning with the end to our own side. Now, putting my idea to the proof, I brought the ass and the cow, and fastening this rope to the harness I had previously contrived for them, I drove them steadily away from the bank. To my great satisfaction, and the surprise and delight of the boys, the end of the plank which had been laid alongside the stream began gently to move, rose higher, turned, and soon projecting over the water, continued to advance until, having described the segment of a circle, it reached the opposite bank. I stopped my team— "'the plank rested on the ground. "'The bridge was made. "'So at least thought Fritz and Jack, "'who in a moment were lightly running across the narrow way, "'shouting joyfully as they sprang to the other side. "'Our way was now comparatively easy. "'A second and third plank were laid beside the first, "'and when these were carefully secured at each end to the ground "'and to the trees, we very quickly laid short boards "'side by side across the beams.' The boys nailing them lightly down as i sawed them in lengths and when this was done our bridge was pronounced complete nothing could exceed the excitement of the children they danced to and fro on the wonderful structure singing shouting and cutting the wildest capers i must confess i heartily sympathized with their triumphant feelings now that the work was done we began to feel how much we were fatigued and gladly returned to our tent for refreshment and repose. Next morning, while we breakfasted, I made a little speech to my sons on the subject of the important move we were about to make, wishing to impress them with a sense of the absolute necessity of great caution. "'Remember,' said I, "'that, although you all begin to feel very much at your ease here, "'we are yet complete strangers to a variety of dangers "'which may surprise us unawares. "'I charge you, therefore, to maintain good order "'and keep together on the march.' "'No darting off into byways, Jack, "'no lingering behind to philosophize, Ernest, "'and now all hands to work. "'The greatest activity instantly prevailed in our camp. "'Some collected provisions, "'others packed kitchen utensils, "'tools, ropes, and hammocks, "'arranging them as burdens for the cow and ass. "'My wife pleaded for a seat on the latter for her little fronts, "'and assuring me likewise that she could not possibly leave the poultry, "'even for a night, nor exist an hour without her magic bag, "'I agreed to do my best to please her, "'without downright cruelty to the animals. "'Away ran the children to catch the cocks and hens,' Great chasing, fluttering, and cackling ensued, but with no success whatever, until the mother recalled her panting sons, and, scattering some handfuls of grain within the open tent, soon decoyed the fowls and pigeons into the enclosure, where, when the curtain was dropped, they were easily caught, tied together, and placed on the cow. This amiable and phlegmatic animal had stood calmly chewing the cud, while package after package, was disposed on her broad back, nor did she now object even to this noisy addition to her load. I placed a couple of half-hoops over all, and spreading sailcloth on them, put the fowls in darkness, and they rapidly became quiet, and the cow, with the appearance of having a small wagon on her back, was ready to start. Franz was firmly seated on the ass, amidst bags and bundles of all sorts and sizes, They rose about him like cushions and pillows, and his curly head rested on the precious magic bag, which surmounted all the rest. Having filled the tent with the things we left behind, closing it carefully, and ranging chests and casks around it, we were finally ready to be off, each well equipped and in the highest spirits. Fritz and his mother led the van. Franz, the young cavalier. "'and the sober-minded cow followed them closely. "'Jack conducted the goats. "'One of these had also a rider, "'for Knips, the monkey, was seated on his foster mother, "'whose patience was sorely tried by his restlessness "'and playful tricks. "'The sheep were under Ernest's care, "'and I brought up the rear of this patriarchal band, "'while the dogs kept constantly running backward and forward "'in the character of aides-de-camp.' we seem delightfully like those simple and pastoral tribes i have read of said ernest as we proceeded whose whole lives are spent in shifting from place to place without any wish to settle yes said i among the arabs tartars and some other eastern nations this mode of life is natural they for that reason are called nomads these tribes are amply provided with camels and horses and effect their journeys more quickly and conveniently than we are likely to do, with these deliberate quadrupeds of ours. Whatever you young folks may think, I suspect your mother and I will be quite satisfied with one such undertaking. At least I hope she will be contented with the nest she intends me to build for her, up in her wonderful trees. End of chapter 3, part 1. Read by Kara Schallenberg. On July fifteenth, two 2009 in San Diego, California.